And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Keith Law Show presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. This is episode 66 of The Keith Law Show. I will be joined today by my old friend, first ever guest, I believe, on The Keith Law Show, Eric Longenhagen of Fangraphs. He comes on to help me break down this past week's MLB draft. For those of you who are subscribers to The Athletic, I have lots of content up for you. I have recaps of all 30 teams' draft classes. They are broken down into six separate files, one for each division. I also have a recap up of Sunday's Futures game. I did go to Denver for a couple of days, took in the Futures game, went back to the hotel, showered, walked over, hung out in the draft, and then came back, wrote until 1 a.m. and fell asleep until something like 10 on Monday morning. It was pretty exhausting, all things considered. But you can find all of that content, and Eric and I will break down some of the more interesting draft classes as well. I will say up front, and I mentioned it in the conversation with Eric, I really think the Reds did a fantastic job this year. And I think several clubs did. There are lots of clubs that had good drafts. Obviously, every club thinks they had a great draft. We'll see how that turns out. But I just have to mention, I think the Reds really made the most of the picks they had and followed a philosophy that I, in particular, I think really can appreciate and understand. Also, I just want to thank everyone who followed along with the live blog that we did on Sunday night for the draft. It was the first time we tried something like that, and my understanding is it was a big success. And I really appreciate those of you who read, commented uh, via Twitter, passed along what your thoughts were on what we were saying, what I was saying, as I tried to follow along pick by pick and offer you my latest thoughts on each of the players selected. Also, I do have a book out I try to mention every week. The Inside Game came out in paper back in April. It came out in hardcover just over a year ago. You can buy it anywhere you buy books, including if you don't have a local independent bookstore near you, check out bookshop.org. You can buy from them. It helps you support independent bookstores across the country. Now it is my pleasure to be joined once again by Eric Longenhagen, the lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs. You can find him on Twitter at Longenhagen. That's Longenhagen. L-O-N-G-E-N-H-A-G-E-N. Eric, have you slept? When was the last time you slept? <laughs> I did. I slept. Uh, I, went, I had a hard time falling asleep last night, though. I'll tell you that. I only went to bed at like 3, 3.30 my time. Like Peter Gammons had been up for two hours when I went to bed. Uh, yeah. But... Uh, <laughs> But yeah, you know, like it's just the I spent 13 hours in, on planes and in airports on Wednesday, and that's like definitely messed with me to some extent. But but it's whatever, like it's done. I have have that sense of relief now. It's done, and get to take a little. This is an off day for me. Is what I do with my off day is pod with you. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Perfect. Yes, I were I took some days off uh, recently, and then still ended up going to a game at the Blue Rocks because, uh, Jared Schuster was pitching and that was right. like, well, it's my one chance. What right? are you going to do? So, you can't help yourself. Right. You can't help. Right. Um, anyway, so draft, we had a draft this week. Um, 
I got to see you actually got to hang out in Denver. Um, let me start with uh, kind of a general question. What is the pick from the first round that you would say most stands out? It could be most surprising, best, however you want to go with that. And I'll, I'll kind of follow the direction you want to go. Man, that's a good question. Uh, I don't know, just the Colton Kowser pick. Like, I think that it was the right guy to take. I He's a top 100 prospect in my mind. It's not sexy. He's not a famous guy, but I thought he was the right player. And uh, I don't think that they actually saved much money on him because he might have been likely to go sixth if he was there. Uh, and the way Baltimore behaved the rest of their draft isn't an indication that they saved a bunch of money. Like they just took mostly college guys the rest of the way. So maybe that facilitated something hidden that I'm not seeing. I just thought it was a a good, solid pick. Maybe that's an indication that when I'm older, I'll I'll become a more conservative person that this is the taste is you asked me this question it's pretty open-ended and i give you the the college performing lefty stick from a small conference you know but like this is my guy i i'm a big colton Kowser fan that's interesting that he you think he could have gone sixth i'm not disagreeing with you i think all spring though we've been assuming and i kept hearing this from scouts too the orioles are going to they're shopping for a discount they're looking for a serious discount they're going to take somebody who would go in the teens, shave a bunch of money off his disc, off his bonus, and then kind of like they did last year, obviously in a five-round draft where they went over slot in rounds four and five. I don't see the players later in their draft where they would have done that. I think that's what you're saying too. Right, yeah. I, I like the players that they took with the rest yeah. of the draft. I think it's possible that like John Rhodes, who they took in the third round out of Kentucky – who's like a really toolsy college guy with, you know, a mixed offensive track record and not really like a clear defensive home, but he's, he's not even 21 yet as we're sitting here. Like maybe that guy's got a little extra negotiating leverage and you overpay him by a couple hundred K or whatever. But like, yeah, Colton Kouser, had he gone in the middle of the, the first round is talking at, you know, we're talking about like three and a half million, the pick value where he went is a little over six. Like, I just think that he's likely to get close to six. Um, but yeah, like the other guys, they, they picked, like you said, we like Connor Norby, uh, who was the 41st pick in the draft. But I think you and I both had him ranked closer to 25. Yep. I really love Reed Trimble, who they took in the, in the comp round B out of Southern Miss. He's just a super toolsy center fielder. He had 17 bombs this year, like speed, power, switch hitter. He's short levered. Uh, so he can hit velocity, but his approach is not good. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how he develops, but, uh, but he's tooled up for a college guy to take 65th in the draft. You know, who struck me this here's, here's one. I'll just sort of turn the tables on you real quick. Can you believe Isaiah Thomas from Vanderbilt didn't get picked at all? Right? Yeah. I don't, I would love to know what happened. I haven't reached out to anyone on that yet. Uh, because so much of basically everything I did this week was writing about who did get taken, right? Very little on who didn't get taken. I, I don't know what happened. Yeah. And, you know, you and I can speculate on some possible reasons, which we won't yet. But, like, college juniors like that, they usually, they get drafted. Right. That's why, like, these synapses in my brain fired at random were just like, oh, toolsy, up-the-middle college guy. It's like, oh, Isaiah Thomas didn't get picked. It's, you know, we're talking about a guy who's 6'4", who's built like a big leaguer, who has big league power. And performed pretty well in the SEC. Uh, you know, I think a guy like that would go, but it's just probably a, a dissonance between what he wants and what the industry was willing to give him, probably because of risk associated with the hit tool, which again is sort of what 
is why this popped into my mind. But yeah, Baltimore was, was interesting. And then I thought the draft overall that I found very interesting was uh, Philadelphia's. Philadelphia ended up with as many interesting like high school type guys as just about anybody, especially for a team that didn't pick high or have like a bunch of comp picks. They took Andrew Painter in the first round, high school arm from Calvary Christian in Florida, like mid nineties with a huge breaking ball. He's six, seven. It's your typical like high school pitcher uh, to, to some extent, but then they took like five or six other high school guys throughout the rest of the draft, including four, but before the uh, end of day two and uh, Griff McGarry from Virginia, who's like got huge stuff, three plus pitches, but like 20 or 30 grade control. He's essentially like a high school pick in terms of like risk upside, basically. So, yeah, I, I thought Philly's draft on the whole was very interesting. McGarry, too, he pitched pretty well at the very, very end of Virginia's season. And, you know, there's a huge risk in, you know, recency bias there. But I would say in the fifth round, so that I'm looking at the draft, 145th overall pick. Heck yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, I saw him up to 98 with a power slider in relief. And it's pretty big stuff as a starter. And if you think, the, you know, it's almost as if that I would explain this to myself if I were in the draft room. If you think that those two great starts he had at the end of the season where he threw strikes, I mean, there's a 5% chance he could work out as a starter or a 5% chance say right. that the control is just good enough to work out anywhere. Sure. In the fifth round? Absolutely. The odds of yep. getting anything more than you know, middle reliever at that point are probably pretty slim. Yep. Totally agree. Uh, the, Kevin Goldstein, who's writing about prospects of fan graphs with me, uh, mentioned Logan Cerny in the 10th round, too, from Troy as a guy with like huge tools. He's like a seven runner with plus power. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, a very, very tools heavy draft for for Philly, who's now in their second year with uh, Brian Barber helming the scouting department. It's a much different look now than like the Adam Hastley uh, days of drafting. Yes. You know, it was interesting just to stick with Philly for one more second, too. Uh, Jordan Viars, or Viars, I think it's Viars, V I A R S, their third round pick. He was. He might have been the first player taken where I did a who? Who's that? Yeah. Yeah. And I asked around too, and Texas guy said, well, that's a really surprising pick. And actually the best explanation I got on him was that he's young. He actually, as you and I record this, he's still 17 for another two days. Um, and that that was one of the possible explanations. He is also, he was a two-way guy. They took him as a hitter, but he was also a pitcher. He has a decent arm. And I know there are certain teams that particularly value you're worth something extra, essentially in the model, if you have that kind of athleticism and flexibility. And maybe if you just focus on one thing, you'll get better at it as opposed to trying to learn two things. I'm not saying that's wrong, but that was definitely a, I don't think you had to take that guy there kind of pick. But it's the place if you're going to say, all right, where are the pop-up guys from the high school season who there's most likely to be like something real there, but also they were missed just because of the geographic location and the dynamics that make scouting thoroughly difficult. You'd say, all right, well, somewhere in like the Southeast corridor, Texas or Southern California, where there's just so such a density of talent. And then especially in Texas and then in the deep South, it's not, it's inefficient to scout. Like you're not doubling up a lot. Uh, it's not like you're getting like a 3 PM game at some high school and then a night game at some really nice high school with lighting like you would in SoCal, like in Texas, everything is so far spread out. If an industry, if the industry is going to miss a guy uh, because there's, it's because there's a high density of talent and it's hard to scout in the area. And I think like the deep South in Texas are the places where 
where those guys tend to come from. So, you know, I've got some dope on Byers straight from the horse's mouth. It's like short to the ball with power. He's 6'4", 215 and young. They really think the the long-term power projection here is is big and that there's field to hit already. But yeah, like visually, he's a fringe athlete. He's likely to be in a corner outfield. It's not like a, a center field type of athlete. Uh, but yeah, the two-way thing is interesting. I didn't know that. So which team do you think had the best draft, especially considering where they picked? I, I said the Reds because obviously they had the extra picks, but they didn't pick until 17. And I personally love that they kept taking guys with some upside well past the third round at a point where a lot of teams are taking college juniors, college seniors, fifth-year seniors, guys who are getting master's degrees. And the Reds said, screw it, we're going to take Justice Thompson because, yeah, he's high risk, but there's real upside still there. Yeah, I agree with you about the Reds draft. I think that's on the list. I mean, the Pirates draft was just amazing, too. I know that they picked first, and you asked me to adjust it based on where teams pick, but they deserve to be mentioned. And then Miami too, like Miami, Miami got Khalil Watson and then didn't totally have to mortgage their whole draft. Like Joe Mack is good. And he was just picked around where he was supposed to go anyway. And the same, I think is true of Cody Morissette. And so I thought that Miami did well for picking where they did. Uh, And then Toronto, you know, I thought Gunnar Hoagland, healthy Gunnar Hoagland should just go in the top 10. And to get him at 19 when you don't have a second round pick because of the George Springer signing, you end up with Hoagland, he's under slot, and you get another couple interesting projection arms in Juco guy, Ricky Tiedemann, yep. and Irving Carter, uh, high school righty from Florida in the fifth round. Like, I thought for not having a second round pick, the Blue Jays left with a top 10 talent. And, uh, and so, yeah, I thought the Blue Jays did pretty well too. Yeah, I agree, especially for them not having a second round pick. And... You know, frankly, not just not having a whole lot of money to spend, right? You can't yeah. get super creative when you're down a second round pick or, you know, I don't know where they, they were towards the bottom in bonus pools as a result of losing that pick, which they lost for signing George Springer. Obviously, it's a good reason. Um, and I agree with you on the Marlins. I think the Marlins did some interesting stuff that uh, Gabe Bierman, their seventh rounder from uh, Indiana, was one of the more interesting kind of later round college guys where people are just, they're finding guys with analytics and scouting them, the Marlins scout, but that he, um, you know, I think he's a guy who probably doesn't get a ton of respect in a previous era where it's scouting only, but the analytics kind of showed a little bit more there. And then you start to match it up with the scouting reports. So, oh, okay. Actually the sum of the two sides shows there's a little bit more there. And again, it's the seventh round, right? If he never yeah. makes the big league. So what you took a shot. Yep. I agree. Uh, and then, you know, like, Harry Ford at 12 plus two other high upside prepsters for Seattle feels pretty good too. Um, right. Who who are who are you, Seattle? Yeah. So right? that, I thought that was pretty cool. And then San Francisco, Will Bednar at 14. That feels fine. Um, I think what's interesting about the Giants draft is that now two years in a row, they've spent high picks on dudes who don't have that vertically oriented power pitchers fastball. Like Kyle Harrison and Will Bednar are more two seam sinker tailing action oriented. Yep. And this is what I'd consider a progressive organization. Mm-hmm. And the progressive teams over the last half decade have traditionally been more interested in those power pitcher backspinning fastball type guys. And so to see that at play here with San Francisco over the last couple of years now, I think is notable. Um, and Eric Silva, who they took in the fourth round, I really like who's a, you know, from Jay Sarah Catholic high school in California, which was a loaded team. Most of their guys are going to school 
Uh, Cody Schreier was like the highest profile guy. He's going to go to school. He's going to go to UCLA shortstop. So that's mm-hmm. named the sash away. But like Silva in the fourth round is six one, low 90s, four pitches, great field of pitch, above average athlete. It, he's not all that projectable, but if you told me that he was going to be thrown a little bit harder in two years from now, I, I'd believe you just because at the rate we're developing velocity across the game. <laughs> yeah. And he's got all the other underlying traits. Like he's just a good on mound athlete who executes four distinct pitches. Yeah, you add the likelihood that he throws harder on top of that. Like, yeah, that's, I think that's a good pick in the fourth round too. Yeah, the Giants led off with nine pitchers, first nine picks, nine first nine picks in the first nine rounds. They went all pitching. And then there's the Angels who only took pitchers. My personal reaction was that it's a gimmick. I mean, at a certain point, right, Does it re- in the 15th round, does it really matter? Did they go into this saying, we're not taking any position players? We're not even scouting position players this year. I don't believe that. But I have a feeling they got to a certain point in the draft and said, eh, let's just take all pitchers. Why not? Maybe they maybe they did it for the meme, but like mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> I think it's inarguable that many of the drafts were very pitching heavy, whether they were mono pitcher or not. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know. Do you have any theories or any opinions from people in the game who you talk to about why not necessarily just with the Angels, but why teams drafts were so college pitching heavy in some spots just in general whether it's like all 10 of their first 10 are pitches or uh you know like nine of their first 15 were college pitchers or whatever like do you have any theories about why this may be the case because i don't i don't think it's at broadly it's not for the meme no (laughs) we only did it for the meme the explanation i've heard is that teams were far less confident in their scouting of hitters because they didn't have a summer or a fall And so you didn't have scouting looks or analytics, right? You had no CAPE data or CAPE looks or Team USA. You really didn't have much, if any, fall ball. Only a handful of players, particularly college players, most high school players, were able to go out and do anything last summer. And so you're betting basically on we're going to take a hitter where almost everything we have, data and scouting looks, are based on springs mostly this spring you might have a little bit from two years ago obviously last year was four weekends it's nothing but you have this spring and it's all with the metal bats right you don't have the wood bat looks or the wood bat data and teams are so dependent on that the majority of teams are so dependent on that at this point that they felt like just in a confidence level confidence in our evaluations confidence in our model we're far more confident in the pitching because pitching is pitching right you can evaluate pitching no matter what the bats look like whereas with with hitters that's not the case. Yep, I agree. I hadn't thought about the specifics of the the wood bat data, but I think that's right. I think it's more likely to be model driven teams who behave this way mm-hmm. um, because of the model's lack of confidence in the hitters. I think that most of the people in the room, I mean, part of the reason they're there is because they're confident in their evaluations. But I think it is like an objective type of confidence that the industry was lacking this year. I agree. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Just talk about the Yankees for one second, because of course this is a this is a baseball podcast. We're required yeah. to talk about the Yankees at some point. Pro tip: not a baseball podcast. Not actually required to talk about the Yankees. I actually liked quite a bit of their draft, but the Sweeney pick, I wasn't totally on board with. Where did you land on Sweeney? Because I think those of us who do this publicly—you, me, Kylie, Jonathan, and Jim—like all of us, we we were kind of all over the place on Sweeney more than, more than any other college prospect, I think, in this draft. Yeah, you know, when his name started to pop up into the back of the first round is when I started to do film work on him. And I do worry Mm -hmm. that entering the draft that will have been a little bit light. I don't think he's a shortstop. I think that some of the, again, you know, if you're looking at a draft model and you plug in that this guy is a shortstop, it's going to overestimate pieces of him. Like he's a big 6'4", 200-pound dude uh, who's probably going to have to play third base or like a shoehorned Mike Moustakas-style second base. But this dude does have real feel for contact. He has real power and his swing is really athletic. Like it's not rotationally explosive, but there's a lot of like that Max Muncy style flex in the lower half through contact where that front knee's bent and this guy can just adjust barrel depth based on how deep into his like knees he wants to get during his swing. And Max Muncy does that. And while he does it since he's played for the Dodgers. Um, And so I like that. And this guy, like, you know, there are components there that I think are strong. We had him ranked close to 60th on the board entering the draft. And I don't know, you know, if we're like lining up the college bats, I still think I take like Ethan Wilson over this guy. I still think I take, you know, some of my toolsy, my cup of tea type guys like Trimble, uh, and like Nor- Connor Norby and Ty Black, who I feel a little bit more comfortable about them playing up the middle. Um, but I'd probably slide this guy up a little bit. The rest of their draft, I didn't really like. Um, I think Richard Fitz in the sixth round is an interesting buy low, considering that he had huge, huge stuff last fall and then really struggled this spring. Um, and he had the foot injury. 
which may or may you know, right, I just right. always seem that and assume, well, he's probably not going to have the same stuff after that. And then, but like Brock uh, Selvage in the third round and Brendan Beck in the second round are not really my guys. Selvage really throw, uh, struggled to throw strikes this spring and then had one good outing at the combine. He does have rare lefty velo for a high school kid, but he's not all that projectable in my opinion. And then I don't know, like maybe you can convince me that Brendan Beck, I've seen Brendan Beck a lot. He's got below average stuff across the board for me. Maybe his curveball's average. He is a like high slot dude who works with the two seamer a lot, uh, inexplicably. Maybe there's something about that. The Yankees plan on augmenting and like have him work with his fastball at the top of the zone more optimally. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. He, to me, is just like a sixth starter. I just think he's viable big league rotation depth, but not a guy who's going to grab hold of a job when he's healthy and just and just keep it. I think they took a couple of guys. You mentioned Selvage, Fitz, Chandler Champlain, guys who were, hey, we liked this guy at some point in the past. He wasn't good this spring, wasn't as good. In Selvage's case, he kind of bulked up. He lost his breaking ball for a bit. I think his velocity, you would have seen him, right? It's where I used to live out there, so near where you live. Right. His velocity wasn't as good. I think a lot of this is we trust our player development. We can get these guys back to where they were, whether it's six months ago, a right. year ago, something like that. And I'm okay with that. You got to take those guys in the appropriate spots. And to me, that's, you know, if they think they can get Sweeney to, you know, he's had problems with velocity. I spoke to teams who had him in for workouts who said, good fastballs were just right by this guy. And if the Yankees think that they can develop that, okay, sure. Still not sure I'd take that at the 20th pick when there are guys like you mentioned, Tyler Black, who I also like quite a bit, where you don't have to develop that. He's already there. Maybe he doesn't have the power upside of a Sweeney but he does have a really good chance to play up the middle and he can hit right now. And he's shown us he can hit against velocity, whereas Sweeney yeah. didn't really have a chance to hit against velocity during the season. And so we didn't, didn't see it. The only chance people had was if they had him in for workouts and, and in those controlled environments, obviously he wasn't able to, to demonstrate that. I guess if there's another, like we're betting on our dev group draft, then it's mm-hmm. the Dodgers. Um, yeah. Maddox Bruns and Peter Hubeck, were their first two picks. They're two high schoolers with, again, like underlying traits. Maddox Bruns throws hard right now already, but uh, you know, th- I think the thing to watch with Maddox Bruns is can he develop a second breaking ball? He's got feel for a nasty power curveball already, and then it's just about, all right, he needs a third pitch. From his arm slot, it's hard to turn a changeup over, and so he's going to end up with like a football-style bullet slider, and, you know, all right, so – can he execute those two breaking balls and do they have distinct movement from one another? That's what we'll be watching the Dodgers try to develop there. Hubeck in the third round is just super athletic, really loose, 6'3", 170. Again, was just fastball carry and inconsistent like curveball snap and depth. Uh, and then Nick Nostrini in the fourth round for them. Couldn't get out of the first two innings in his last two college starts has had a thoracic outlet syndrome on paper. His stuff is really interesting. Justin Choi, who writes for our site, uh, worked on a statistical sleepers piece with me. And Nashrini was the first name he picked out just like elite vertical movement. And Nashrini went to a collegiate wood bat league in California before the draft and made a couple really nice starts there. So it's like at when he's healthy, it's mid nineties up to an eight with plus plus vertical movement and like an occasionally good breaking ball. And now that guy's in the Dodgers player dev system. Like I have a different 
sense of what I think of this guy now, just because of knowing these things and now the org he's in too. Like I kind of can't help it. But if there's an org who you're asking me, hey, hand these traits to an org to try to develop some amount of consistency, it's probably the Dodgers. Yeah, and Estrini's definitely one of the better sleepers because the stats are horrible from the spring. Right. But it, it did seem like the control was trending up a little bit towards the end of the year. The stuff is elite. And you could put, I mean, Bruns too. Bruns last summer couldn't throw a strike for a while. It's clear that the Dodgers think if you're athletic and you have stuff, we can tone things down. We can get you to throw more strikes. And in Nostrini's case, they felt like he was already heading in that direction too, which is, uh, you know, which given their history, their recent track record of develop, developing pitchers, I'm willing to give them a little more benefit of the doubt. Um, and Nostrini's stuff in the get it's like um, uh, Sarantola, who I think the Royals took in the, yes. was it the sixth round or so, fifth round, somewhere in there, where it's, you know what, at a certain point, those arms are pretty hard to find. Yeah. And if he's Jason Napergal, you just release him in a year. Yeah, and this this dynamics up and down the Dodgers draft all the way through. Like Ronan Cop in the twelfth round when he was in high school, it's a, he was a lefty, like six six lefty up to ninety four. You know, then he came out the next spring in his first start. He was up to ninety seven, but walked everybody at like a single A Christian school in Arizona. He's like facing nobodies and still couldn't get anybody out. And then it was so bad that he had to like decommit from ASU. And he went to South Mountain Community College. Again, he's just like throwing hard with no idea. Mm-hmm. And he's huge. And like, okay, the Dodgers just have a bunch of guys like this now to throw at their dev group. Any other, any shocks among the kids who almost everybody got drafted eventually, but yeah. who were drafted at a point, say, where they weren't going to sign? Will Taylor, Luca Trash, who may sign, I guess. Um, but I was surprised he didn't go. I know he didn't have a great spring, but still, everyone thought this guy was at least a draft. I think uh, you know Peyton Stovall is the type yeah. of is the type of high schooler who's becoming more popular. Like uh, James Triantos, who the Cubs took in the second round, and mm-hmm. Tyler Freeman, who the the Indians took a couple years ago. Like these hit tool oriented high schoolers, where there's data supporting the hit tool, are becoming much more popular to give seven figures to. Nick York was the big surprise in last year's first round, who's like this, mm-hmm. uh, and then Stovall is a rare version of this where he just had a lot of profile and maybe Matt McLean is another recent example like that, but you know, they both went to school. So now we will see, all right, here's an example of a guy like this who is going to end up going to school. And I think he's going to Arkansas. So he and Robert Moore are going to make for a fantastic middle infield combo over at Arkansas. No offense to Jalen battles. Um, Mm -hmm. But like, uh, I think that's pretty exciting. And then a bunch of the prep arms, like, uh, Brody Brecht from Iowa was a late pop-up guy, well-built lefty with big arm strength. But my, the two dudes who I really want to mention are like, uh, Thatcher Hurd from Miracosta high school in California, who I love huge breaking ball on that guy. He was 88, 91 out of the gate this spring and then never got above that. And he's a UCLA commit. So, uh, he just wasn't going to meet his, the teams weren't going to meet his price at that velocity. I don't think. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, Braden Montgomery, two-way guy from Mississippi who's going to Stanford who is just like the best on-mound athlete in this draft probably regardless high school college doesn't matter he's going to go to Stanford and play shortstop and pitch and be hopefully incredible Stanford next year is a must must watch between Brock Jones uh Drew Bowser who wanted five million coming out of high school is like you know giant frame seven power and this kid Braden Montgomery who all three of them have a chance to be like top 15 picks in their respective draft years yeah, that's uh, I had heard 
first I heard he was pulling himself out of the draft completely, which I don't believe did happen. I had a list. I don't know if it was complete, but he told teams not to take him, but didn't do the formal stuff. To, he didn't to actually withdraw. do the formal yeah. stuff. Right. Lorenzo Carrier did here. Cody Schreier and some guys who had a chance to get a million plus. Yeah. Uh, ended up pulling their names out of the draft, which I just think is the worst possible idea uh, imaginable. All right. Last question for you. How many guys from this draft do you think are going to end up on your... I assume you're going to update your top 100. I know you're going to put all these guys onto your board. Yes. So I only do a 50 update usually at midseason, save the 100 for the offseason. But for you, how many guys in this draft do you think are going to end up on your 100? It's going to be seven. And oh, I will awesome. tell. I can tell you exactly... very definitive. Exactly where they're going to be on the 100. So Marcelo Mayer is going to be 37th. Mm. Henry Davis is going to be close to 40th. He and Jack Leiter are going to be close to 40. Okay. Um, Khalil Watson is going to be close to 60. I have him at 57 right now. Uh, Jordan Lawler, 70th. Colton Kouser, 85th. And then Kamar Rocker, 90th. Okay. Wow. That was extremely definitive. You are well ahead of me. It is a question that lots of people have is like, where, how many guys are going to be on the 100 and where will they be? And it's one that I just anticipate at this point. And yeah, it's like on the it's on the board at the site. Like all the fifty future value and above guys just have their approximate top one hundred rank on the amateur uh, side of the board. Gotcha. Excellent. Um, I learned well. And you've got me wondering. You've got me wondering how many. If I do a hundred right now, if I were to do a hundred, how many would I have on there? I would have actually guessed at this point somewhere between eight and ten. Usually by the time we get to an off season, because we've lost more people yeah. to graduations. Um, it's somewhere between 12 and 15. I don't know that this draft is going to give us 15 guys unless we just lost at, lose more to graduations than I'm even thinking. I don't think that's the case though. And I have a feeling it's probably going to be on the lower end. I tend to have fewer newly drafted guys go on the hundred because I value proximity a little bit more and try to, you know, it's almost like you're projecting a hurricane's path. You know, Jackson Job's upside is to be close to 30th overall, but He's a high school guy who's very risky and that's baked into where I let him fall. And so, you know, if Job goes to fall ball and is lights out during instructs with Detroit, then yeah, he'll probably move into the back of the top 100 the same way Matthew Allen and Mick Abel did. Um, even though like they're basically evaluated the same entering the draft. So, so yeah, um, of the guys who I didn't mention, who would you say you're most likely to include in your hundred Job? Brady House, any of the college bats, Harry Ford, Hoagland, maybe? You know, I will probably spend a lot of time debating uh, Sam Bachman, where if he's healthy, he's – if you know he's healthy. You should just put him wherever you have – yeah, Braylon Marquez or whatever, right? Like, they should just be close to one another. Right. I mean, it is two seven slash eight pitches. It could be two eights if you get him on the right day. I mean, he and and, – Gavin Williams, to me, they were they could go in the top ten. They could fall out of the first round completely because of teams' questions about medicals. And the fact that they both went, I I think is great. I'd rather see these guys someone's gotta take a shot at it. Even if you think there's a decent chance these guys, you know, for listeners who don't know, Sam Bachman missed two starts with a sore shoulder, but he yeah. did come back and he was throwing just as hard afterwards. And he's had hip surgery. Yeah. So he right, but it's not as long as it's not an arm issue. Right, it's the the arm stuff is the t- thing that teams tend to be most scared off of. There are occasionally other things. Shamanaya was a hip guy, right? I think his was hip surgery. He had it right out of the draft, but I as ended up having a major league career. Yeah. So 
anyway, so I'd rather see those guys get drafted. Um, he would be one that I would think to potentially go up that high. I'm not sure who else. Benny? Would you do Benny in your 100? No. I know he went eighth. That was a little high for me with that hitch, man. I got to see him get out and hit some pro pitching. I don't know about you. Uh, Yeah, like... I agree. I mean, I'm not going to stick in my mind, but, but yeah, he belongs, he and Harry Ford and Brady house. I have in like that tier right below where my top 100, which is really like 115, 120 guys um, where that ends is like the 45 plus tier. Like, Hey, you know, there's risk here basically that's keeping these guys out of the hundred, but their upside belongs. And like all three of those guys are in that mix. How about McLean? You didn't say McLean, right? No. Um, McLean McLean's more the type of guy who I like him. I think he's a high probability big leaguer, but do you think he's the type of player who, uh, you know, Hey, it's the eighth inning and we're down by one. Like let's pinch hit for him with Jock Peterson. Like he's going to have some sort of platoonish partner. There are going to be some times where you'd rather have somebody standing in the box situationally uh, or playing shortstop situationally. I think he's a piece. I think he's going to be quick moving, really well-rounded uh, 45, basically the way, you know, some of these teams move these guys around to various up the middle positions throughout the course of a single game, even. Yep. Um, makes sense. Makes sense. Um, he might be at the back of a top 100 for me. My guest today has been Eric Longenhagen of Fangraphs.com. Check out his work over there. Follow him on Twitter at Longenhagen. Check out his book with Kylie McDaniel called Future Value. It came out a year and four months ago, something like yeah ago. something like that some idiot wrote the forward too i don't know that guy doesn't know what he's talking about anyway eric thank you so much for joining me thanks for having me dude talk to you soon that's all for this week's show thank you so much for joining me i do try to close every show with an exhortation to go get vaccinated as we see cases beginning to rise again across the country particularly in parts of the country where vaccination rates are low if you are hesitating please go talk to a medical professional talk to an expert You can even talk to me. I am not a medical professional or an expert, but I can try to refer you to the right people. If you are hesitating, vaccines are safe, vaccines are effective, and many people, especially those in the healthcare community, would like to see more people get vaccinated, and they will be happy to answer some of your questions. So if I can be of help, you know where to find me on Twitter, at Keith Law, on Facebook, at Keith Law Writer. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe. Go get that shot. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.